Well, happy Easter. And thank you so much for joining us today. My name's Tim, if we hadn't had a chance to meet, and I get the insane privilege of being the lead pastor here at the church. Uh, And if I haven't met you, right after the service through these doors, I'll be greeting, and I'd love to just be able to shake your hand. And thank you uh, for giving us an hour of your day today. It really is truly an honor to have you here. As we know why we're gathered, right? Nobody was blindfolded and brought into the worship center and said, surprise, right? You all know, like, we're here. It's Easter. This is an Easter service. And uh, we just are a church that just loves Jesus, and we love our, uh, our church family, and we admit that we don't have it all together, all right? I just want you to know that. Like, we willingly and openly admit that we're all screwed up, okay? Me included as the pastor, and you're going to find out more about that this morning. And so um, maybe you've been in different churches, you've been in different contexts, or whatever that case may be. What we do here at Shepherd's Gate is we open God's Word And we just go to his word and we say, God, what is it that you have for us? What is it that you want to speak to us through your word? Because we believe that his word is what has the power to change and transform our lives. In fact, it'll be no effort on my part or my ability to speak or not speak this morning. It'll be through the Holy Spirit speaking through his word that'll bring you to faith if you don't have faith. Or it'll bring you closer to Jesus if you feel that you're far from Jesus And we just believe that as a church this morning. And so I can say on behalf of our church, we really don't want anything from you, that we simply want Jesus for you. Because we know what he's done to our lives and we know what he can do for your life. See, this year our church has been on this year-long theme called Owning Your Influence. And we've been looking at just the incredible responsibility and gifts and blessings that God has given to us. See, to really understand all of this and and, and the magnitude of this, we have to first recognize that everything we have and everything we are actually comes from God. And he places us in our families, he places us in our place of work, in our community, he gives us this influence that now we could leverage that to help others. And I know some of you here this morning, maybe your habit is to maybe only come to church on Christmas and Easter, is that safe to say, right? Right? And I say that because we love you and we're excited to see you. And sometimes I wonder, maybe you wonder what we talk about the other weeks when you're not here, right? Because when you come on Christmas, it's always the Christmas story. And then on Easter, you just pick one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we just go to the last chapter because that's the resurrection story. I just wanted you to know what we've been doing the last few months. All right, so what we've been doing, and this is one of the things we like to do as a church, is we go through a book of the Bible, and so we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and we've been looking at these different values and how they interact and intersect with our lives and our families, and maybe you see some things up here, and you say, oh man, I wish I would have been here for this one or that one, or you know, that would have been really good, you know, just with what's going on in my life right now, and what's really cool, as you heard in the video, is that you can actually go on our website, we have a brand new website, uh, you can watch uh, the sermons, you can listen to the sermons, you can watch actually the entire services. Uh, but more important than that, we want you to come back and be part of what we believe that God is doing in here, that we could walk alongside you, that we could do life with you and your family. And we just, once again, believe that Jesus wants to bless you in ways that you can't even think or hope or imagine that it's his power that's at work in our lives. And so this Holy Week that we started, just this last Palm Sunday, our sermon series is really, uh, it's called Future Past. And so even as we're looking to the future, you have to kind of back up and look to the past, which is what you do every week in church as you open the Bible, as you read the scriptures from so long ago, and just it's amazing how applicable they are to our lives today. But this year we wanted to focus on this kind of challenge, and so we've been asking this 
each and every one of our services from Palm Sunday to Monday, Thursday to last night to Good Friday and now again on this Easter weekend. Is the story of Jesus one that you have merely heard? And so you kind of know what's coming, right? He rises from the dead, surprise, right? Punchline, right? Or do you actually know that he's here? And that he actually is alive and that he wants to work in your life and my life? Or are you just going to hear the story again this year? And that's for all of us. And so that's the challenge as we walk through the scriptures again. Because we believe that what you believe will determine how you actually live your life. How you view God and your relationship with him. And how you grow and you nurture that relationship. And so as I said, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark is a really fascinating read. In fact, most theologians will tell you it's the oldest gospel. It should actually be first instead of Matthew. Um, that, and, and, and Mark actually wasn't a disciple of Jesus. Mark was someone that walked around and did a lot of stuff with Peter. And so Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, uh, there's an early church father that actually wrote about this that said Mark's gospel is really Peter's gospel, that Peter dictated to Mark what to write in his gospel. And so as we read through this, you kind of get to see through the eyes of Peter the account of Jesus. And so today, believe it or not, we're actually going to go back all the way to the first chapter of Mark. And we're going to look at it, and those of you that have been on this journey with us the last few months, you're going to see how this all ties in as we conclude this, as we look at the Gospel of Mark again this morning. And so um, there's chair Bibles actually uh, in the seats in front of you. Um, If you're in the front row, they're right underneath. We would just encourage you to grab one of those and turn to page 836 so you can kind of walk along these scriptures and see them together. And we're literally going to start in Mark, the first chapter. Isn't this exciting? Now here's, here's... Something else, if you're new to Shepherd's Gate, if you don't have a Bible, um, we want to bless you today. So we want you to take the Bible that you now hold in your hand home with you. That's what we believe is the greatest gift that we can give you. So please take that home today on behalf of our church. But wouldn't you believe in Mark chapter 1, the very first verse, it says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The very first verse, right? This is why they are writing this account. This is why we have this gospel account. They are going to tell us the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And in the first chapter, it's kind of interesting because we find out that Jesus in verse 16 is actually calling disciples. He's actually calling men to walk alongside, to go on this journey for these next three years with them. And so you can see here where it says he's passing along the Sea of Galilee and he sees Simon and Andrew Now, whenever you see Simon, Simon is also Peter. Jesus actually changed his name to Peter. And so sometimes it's referred to as Simon, sometimes it's Peter, and sometimes it's Simon Peter. And so you have Peter and Andrew, the brother of Simon. They're casting nets, for they were fishermen. And these guys are like rough and tough guys, right? To be a fisherman back in this day means that you had to have a lot of physical strength. They had one of these occupations where their hands would have been really rough, right? And their muscles would have been really big. Not me, right? I'm not a good example of that, right? I'm a little guy and I have computer hands, okay? Right? This is not me. You, you just think of a rough and tough, like a man's man, right? And Jesus says to these rough and tough guys who have this incredible, you know, occupation, and he looks at them and he just simply says, follow me. Follow me. He doesn't have a 30-minute sermon. He doesn't have a theatrical production. He doesn't have some highly emotional sales pitch for these guys. He looks at him and says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And these guys leave their nets 
And they actually follow him. It's amazing. They leave their businesses. They leave everything that they knew. That There was a rabbi that actually took interest in them, that wanted to invest in them, and they saw this opportunity, and they took it. And what's so interesting is you continue to read in verse 29. It says, they were going out, and they were leaving the synagogue, and they entered the house of Simon Peter and Andrew, and now there's a couple more disciples added to this with James and John, and Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they took Jesus to her, And he came to her and took her by the hand. He lifts her up and the fever leaves her and she begins to serve him. So again, think about this. You're Peter. You own a fishing business. This is all you've known your entire life. And this rabbi that you're you're still trying to figure out has called you to be his disciple. Now he's at your house. And now you see him perform one of these first miracles where he literally heals your mother-in-law. How much more proof do you need? He's the son of God, right? He just raised up and healed your mother-in-law. And what's so interesting as you read this, it says that she had a fever. Well, how many of you have had a fever before? Right? This isn't life-threatening. She's not on her deathbed. You know what I mean? This isn't like, you know, this, this crazy thing. And I don't know if any of you have ever done this with your kids. But when your kids are sick, instead of going to the drug you know, cabinet in the house, do you ever just say, hey, let's take this to Jesus? Because we actually believe that Jesus can heal sicknesses and disease. Anyone ever do this? And you say, let's just pray, and you grab their hands, and I have two boys, and I'll do this with them, and I'll just pray, whatever it is, just take the sniffles away, or take this cough away. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And they open their eyes, and I always ask them the same question, how do you feel? And what do you think they say? Great. They always say, oh, I feel better. And I say, good, can you get up and go do the dishes? (laughs) Right? I tried this one time with my wife. I have never tried it a second time, right? But think about that. We actually believe that God can do this. Why don't we invite him into those situations and allow him to work his power in our lives? But what's so interesting is that even though this started out as something small, what you find out in the following verses is that that night, all these people are brought to Jesus. The whole city is gathered together at Peter's house. And he heals many who are sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Again, imagine you're Peter. Imagine you're watching Jesus do these miracles and people are flooded. There's a line outside of your house and down the street. They can't even fit all of these people in as Jesus is touching person after person after person. How in the world has had to have just encouraged and just fueled their faith? And what we find out as we begin to read the gospel of Mark is that that these disciples actually go on this journey with Jesus. That they actually go to these different places and they see Jesus perform all these miracles and they see him, you know, engage in conversations with religious leaders and they're just amazed at his ability to articulate the scriptures as he talks about who he is and what he came to do. And you can go all the way to chapter 8, and what you do is you find out that Jesus is actually with his disciples in this place called Caesarea Philippi. And he's trying to get a gauge on what people are thinking. Now that he's done all these miracles, and he's casted out all these demons, and he's done all these really incredible things, he's asking his disciples, well, who do people say that I am? And so they're giving him all these different answers. Like, well, some say, you know, you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Others say, well, you're a, you must be some kind of prophet. But we don't really know, you know, who you are. And it was really important for Jesus to know how the disciples felt about him and what they thought about him. And you'll see this over and over again, that every time he addresses the disciples, for some reason, Peter's always the one that speaks up for the group. 
And when he says, who do you say that I am? Peter actually answered him, you are the Christ. He makes a bold profession of faith. I want you to think about that. He makes a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Now, when you read Matthew's account, you find that Jesus actually responds to Peter after he says this and said, yes, you are correct. And the only way that you were able to say those words is because my heavenly Father came to you and gave you the ability to have faith. You see, here at Shepherd's Gate, that's what we believe. We believe God the Father is what comes to you, that God comes to you and he comes to your heart and he's the one that awakens faith in your heart and your life and he brings you to himself, and that's exactly what's taking place as Peter speaks on behalf of the other disciples. But here's the crazy part. In the following verses, Jesus actually begins to tell the disciples, just so you know, this is what's going to happen to me. As we go this journey for these next three years, this is what's going to happen to me, that I'm actually going to be taken captive, and they're going to crucify me, but don't worry, because three days later, I will rise from the dead again. He starts planting these thoughts in their head, and he's telling them, put this in the back of your head. I want you to remember this so that you don't become discouraged. And what does it say here? It says, he said this plainly. They understood what he was saying. This wasn't a trick. This wasn't like you know, one of Jesus' difficult parables. Like They understood. They were following along what Jesus was teaching. But yet, yeah, check this out. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I want you to think about this. He just told Jesus that he believes he's the Messiah, that he's God. Now he's telling the Messiah, God, you're wrong. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that wild? I mean, literally, in the same context, in the same space, he's going from one extreme to the other. And this is what I love about Peter. Peter doesn't get it right. In fact, Peter gets it wrong over and over and over again. Peter's one of those people that is very just shoots from the hip, right? Whether it's through his actions or through his words, over and over and over again. And here's just one of many examples of him actually doing this. He takes Jesus aside and he rebukes him. But let's be honest this morning, we do the same thing. There are things that Jesus does and that God does in this world and in our lives we are not happy with. There are decisions that are made and, and situations that impact us and we get angry at God. We lash out at God. We tell God that he is wrong. I don't know about you, but I've done this many times in my life. I look at this world that we live in and you're trying to bring up a family and you're trying to you know, do everything that you can and then you, you watch the news and you see what's going on in other parts of the world and then you realize what's going on here in our world and in our country and everything that's taking place, all this negativity. And you go, God, why are you allowing these things to happen? And then when we see innocent lives lost and especially when it happens to children, right, we get really upset and we get angry. We say, God, why would you ever allow any of this to happen? Why don't you make this stuff stop? Maybe for you, it's not even on the big level. Maybe it's more on the personal level. And maybe you lost your job. And you go, God, why? Or maybe you lost a loved one and you're saying, well, how come I had to lose the loved one? Why did my relative or my friend have to get this diagnosis? Or why is it that I have to go through this? God, where are you and why aren't you answering my prayers? See, we've all done this in our lives. But we go to the scriptures and we read what the scriptures have to say. In Isaiah 55, it reminds us what Jesus says or what God says to us, that your ways are not my ways. 
and your thoughts are not my thoughts. And my ways are higher than yours, and I've been around a little bit longer than you, and there's a bigger plan, there's a grander vision to all of this, and you have to trust me. I am your creator, and I love you, and I am working in your life. Isn't it interesting that Jesus actually turns and he sees the disciples because they can hear Peter's rebuking him, and who likes to get rebuked with a group of people standing around, right? And what does Jesus do? He rebukes Peter, and he literally says the words, get behind me, Satan. Not a very nice thing for God to say, is it, right? For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. He was humbling Peter. He was putting Peter in his rightful spot where he should have been and allowing Jesus to do his teachings and just keeping his mouth shut and listening to what it was that God had for him. What's interesting is we've gone through Holy Week this week and on Thursday as we, as we gathered and, and, we, and we looked at Jesus in the upper room with his disciples and then as he went from there, he went into the garden. And this is the night he was going to be betrayed and he's in the garden with his disciples. And so I want you to see what happens. Jesus looks at them and these are words of encouragement for him. Again, he says, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. What he's saying is, I know they're coming to capture me. I know that they're going to bind me. And you guys are all going to scatter in a bunch of different directions. But just put this in the back of your head, guys. After I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Just remember that, that even though they crucify me, I will rise from the dead and you're going to see me again in Galilee. And as he's saying this, guess who speaks up? How did you know, right? Nobody else. There's 11 of them. Judas is out of the picture at this point. Why is nobody else speaking up but Peter? Peter said, even though they all fall away, I will not. Talk about throwing the other guys under the bus, right? All these, yeah, sure, they don't have the faith. And Jesus says to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, listen to this, this is crazy, Peter, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then they all said the same thing, right? They're all just following along with what he said. And it's crazy. You can see his passion. You can see his heart and his love for his Savior. But he didn't truly understand what was about to happen. And Jesus, in being God and being infinite in his wisdom and knowledge, knew what was going to happen and even told the disciples, you're going to see me when I rise from the dead in Galilee. And Peter, guess what? You are going to deny me. So here they come, the religious leaders and Judas the betrayer and the soldiers, and they lay hands on him and they take him captive. And then for some crazy reason, Peter, who stood up, draws a sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. That is crazy stuff right there. Here's the question, knowing Peter's personality, right? Knowing that he has a hard time controlling his mouth and his actions. Number one, who gave Peter a sword, right? <laughs> Should that not be your, that this is not the guy out of the disciples. Knee-jerk reaction, dude, don't give this one the sword. Question number two is, and you see, we always fly over scriptures. We don't think about this, but think about this. What was he actually aiming for? I'm sure it wasn't the servant's ear right? Was he trying to kill Judas? Was he trying to go after the high? I mean, he literally missed. I mean, let's be honest. There's no way that this was actually, I mean, you can just tell he's just so spontaneous. 
And maybe you're here today and, and you resonate with Peter, right? You know what this is like. Maybe you're that person in your family that you always get called out on. You're the one that just has a hard time. You always, you know, say before you think and you do before you think. And I have good news for you. You're not alone. I am that person too. In fact, that's what often happens in life. We try to get ahead of God. We try to get, you know, in the, in the way of what God wants to do. And I can tell you, God never stops working on us. God never stops having patience with us. In fact, I was a kid that actually grew up in a church. And I got to experience a lot of really cool things growing up in a church. But I can also tell you this. I'm the only kid that I know of that was actually kicked out of a kid's Christmas church production because of how disrespectful I was to other people. What do you think? I can tell you that I was in a program called Bible Quiz, and I was studying the Bible, and so we did this as little kids, and then we would move into the teen program, and so you just did this. This was just natural. This is what everybody in our church did, and so as I was in the, in the kids program, I transitioned into the teen program, and the head of the teen program actually sat me down and said, hey, you're just too much to handle. We just can't have you be a part of this program or even on any of the teams, and she kicked me out of the program. Isn't that nuts? Some of you are wondering, how did you get to where you're at today? I have no idea. I get Peter. I get, you know, that personality type. And maybe that's you or maybe that's somebody in your family. Do you, does everybody know somebody that it's like this, right? Are any of you sitting next to somebody that's like this? You want to admit it, right? We're all kind of like this. We make decisions. We do things. We get ahead of Jesus. Well, see, they take him captive and they split in a million different directions and, and the only two disciples that actually circled back around to Jesus were Peter and John. And the next place we find Peter, he's actually in the courthouse. In the courthouse because Jesus was getting ready to go through his trials. And he's first in his Jewish trial and he's before these Jewish religious leaders. And he's outside and he's warming himself by a fire. Now I want you to look at this. It says, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming herself, she looks at him and she says, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. Man, you just look really familiar. This is a servant girl. This isn't the high priest. This isn't anybody in a position of authority or power. But look at what he says. He deny it saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And literally moments ago, he said, I will never deny you. I will fight for you to the very end. And in a flip of a switch, He's denying Jesus. Says he goes out of the gateway, the rooster crowed, the servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystanders, I'm pretty sure he's one of them. Now I want you to think about this because uh, uh, John's account actually tells us that the servant girl was actually there at the scene. The person that cut somebody's ear off, that was probably the easiest person to identify, right? I mean, that's the one you're gonna be like, no, I know the shade of beard color and hair and outfit. Like you must be this man and again, he denies it. And after a little while, the bystanders again say to Peter, certainly you're one of them. They're trying to convince him now that he's a follower of Jesus. Now look at this. He began to invoke a curse on himself. He's going back to his fishing days. He's swearing, and he says, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the, crew, the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered what Jesus had said, and it says that he broke down and that he wept. And if you read this in the original language in the Greek, you realize that how difficult this was. This wasn't just a couple tears. That this was like just awful, painful, just sorrow for what 
he had done. That here he had made all these promises and he, and he had said all these things and these weren't the first time that he had done this. You might remember that when Jesus walked on water, it was Peter that jumped out of the boat and tried to walk on water with Jesus. Even that night in the upper room when Jesus began to wash the disciples' feet, it was Peter that got up and told Jesus, no, you're not washing my feet. Then Jesus explained to him what he was doing and Peter said, no, wash my whole body. I mean, he's got a whole life of doing this kind of stuff. And here he is, he's broken down and he's weeping. And he feels so awful. And if you study this personality, you talk to psychologists, you talk to counselors, they will tell you this over and over again that people that live in this realm, and I know this because it's my world, right? You work so hard and you, and, you, and you try to do everything that you can, but there's always a crashing point. There's always a point in your life where you just crash. And when you crash, you crash hard. And it doesn't just happen once in life. It happens over and over. It's a repeating pattern that happens. But I guarantee you, every one of us can associate with this. And imagine Peter hearing as Jesus now is led into Jerusalem, and he's led out of Jerusalem as he's led to the cross. And we don't even know if the disciples were actually at the crucifixion. We know John was there, but none of the other gospels tell us if any of the other ones were there. We don't know if Peter was even there. But what was overwhelming to him was all this remorse all this just, just frustration and bitterness, and I guarantee you he's beating himself up. And then this is what Mark tells us about the Easter story. This is Mark's account of the resurrection story. It says this, that very early on the first day of the week, Sunday, right? The sun had risen, they went to the tomb, the women and the women were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man, which we find in the other gospel accounts as an angel. He's sitting there on the right side. He's dressed in a white robe, and they're alarmed. Now, I want you to look at what it says. The angel says to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. These women are the first one that get to hear this incredible proclamation. See the place where they laid him. Come on in. You can see the empty tomb. He has defeated sin and death, just like he said over and over and over again. And look at what your God and my God has done for us. The tomb is empty for us. And this angel instructs the women. I want you to see what Mark says. The angel tells the women, go back and tell his disciples and Peter. But wait a second, Peter is a disciple. Why is Peter singled out? Why was it so important that the angel told the women, make sure that you tell the disciples and make sure you really make sure you tell Peter? Why? Because he was still beating himself up. He was still in that place where he just felt so awful and he didn't know what to do or where to turn and he felt like a complete failure, that he had let God down, he had let himself down. And isn't it interesting that it also says the angel told the women, and remind them that Jesus is going before you to Galilee. The same thing he told them in the garden. There you will see him just as he told you. It's incredible to me how patient our God is with us. How many times he tells us something over and over and over again, and we have all the best intentions in the world, and we want to do God's will, and we want to do it God's way, 
And we do everything we can to try to do it that way, and then some reason we end up going the opposite direction and going against what God has for us. And yet in his grace and his mercy, he just slowly but surely comes alongside of us and continues to move us along this path of life. What's so interesting is that Mark's account actually ends here. This is what you get of the the resurrection account in Mark. But thanks be to God that we have some other gospel writers that kind of fill in some of those gaps. And in John's account, this is what we find. We find Jesus appearing to his disciples by where exactly he said he was going to be, the Sea of Galilee. And he was actually there, and they were eating breakfast. They were having a fish fry on the beach. How cool is that, right? And he turns to Simon Peter. Doesn't turn to anybody else. He turns to Simon Peter, and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I want you to think about this. This was after Jesus was raised from the dead. This was actually the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples. Jesus asked Peter this question two more times. The scripture tells us that Peter was actually frustrated with Jesus, that that he had to ask him three times. But what is it that Jesus is doing in this moment? He's humbling Peter. He's reminding him that he is the one in control and that he's not done working in his heart, in his life, because this is how he ends the entire conversation with Peter. Jesus looks at Peter and he says these words, follow me. Sound familiar? Follow me. I haven't given up on you, Peter. I have a purpose and a hope and a plan for your life, and I want to continue to be part of it. And this doesn't mean that from here on out you're going to get it right, because guess what? Read the book of Acts. Peter's all over the book of Acts. Sometimes he gets it right, sometimes he doesn't get get it right. But God doesn't ever give up on him, just as God hasn't given up on you or me. And so this Easter, hear this message. God is calling you to faith. God is calling you to himself. No matter what your past is, no matter what you've been through, no matter what your church attendance is, no matter any of those things, God is calling you into relationship and into a journey with him. And he's saying to you, come and follow me and watch what I will do in your heart and your life. See, this is our Easter message this year. That Jesus actually speaks patience over our present, and yet promises over our future. And we would love to be on this journey with you. We would love to watch God move in your heart and your life. We would love to see God transform you and your family and to do exceedingly abundantly about what you could even think that God can do because, again, it's his power that's working in you. So, again, if you're here today, maybe you're far from God. Maybe you don't know if you believe in God. Listen to his words today. Come, follow me. Watch what I can do in your life. I'm a God of grace and I'm a God of mercy and I'm a God of forgiveness and I died on the cross for your sins and I rose from the dead and I defeated sin and death and the devil for you because I love you and I'm mad about you and I want to do anything I can to bring you to myself. That's what he's calling you today. Maybe you're here and you, let's just be honest, maybe that's two times a year is your thing, right? Christmas and Easter. And God is saying to you, I have so much more in store for you. Maybe the challenge for you would be to come once a month to church. 
And I'm not even saying you have to come to this church. Maybe it's not this church. We would love for you just to go to a Bible-believing church that you would get plugged in, that God would continue to work in your heart and your mind as you follow him. And for those of us that have been on this journey for a very long time, again, this Easter, he's calling us just as he called Peter, come and follow me. Lay down our pride. Lay down our control of life and watch what God will continue to do in and through us. He loves you and he loves me. So don't just hear the message. Know that he's here. and Know that he wants to work in your heart and in your life. Amen? Amen. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning or this afternoon? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your amazing grace and mercy in our lives. God, we thank you for your word that you have given to us. Now we can walk through these passages, we can look at the life of Peter, we can see, God, how you kept your hand upon him. And that, God, every time he fell down, that, God, you picked him up and you put him back on the path that you have for him. And so, God, I pray for anyone that's in this room this afternoon that maybe they feel like they don't belong or there's no way that you would ever let them be part of your family or you know, they're just not sure about all this or that they have to somehow fix themselves before coming to you. God, would you just, in your grace and your mercy, wrap your arms around them and remind them that you have done everything for them and how much you love them and you're calling them today to follow you. God, for all of us, we pray, God, challenge our hearts, challenge our minds. Help us not to get distracted by the things of this world that can so easily entangle us and sins and everything else. But God, help us to lay everything at your feet to realize you are a loving, merciful, gracious, and forgiving God and that you're not done with any single person in this room, young or old, today. So God, do only what you can do. Bring us to you, open our hearts, open our minds to you. God, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen.